Before we come to the table today, we'll continue our study in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, beginning in verse 13. The message is entitled, Treasures. Verse 13, then some children were bought, brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of God, heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. And someone came to him and said, teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. They said to him, said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, You who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Father, I pray now that you would bless our time in the Word. Give us understanding. Apply it to our hearts, Lord, that we might be wise. Lord, that we might hear from you one day. Well done, faithful servant. And Lord, if there are any here, who do not know you as their own personal Savior, that, Lord, today would be the day you become their treasure. You'd draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in Sunday school, the first doctrines I learned were doctrines that I was taught to sing. Probably you too. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Another one that was so personal. Jesus loves the little ones like me, me, me. Jesus loves the little ones like me. Little ones like me sat upon his knee. Jesus loves the little ones like me. Jesus loves the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. Jesus loves the children of the world. All are precious in his sight. That's what we learned. The first doctrines in Sunday school, that Jesus loves children. Jesus loves them. 
See, the problem with us sometimes, even as believers, is we have a worldly value system. The world has a value system that puts children way, way, way down on the important scale, don't they? In fact, in America, they scream for their death, for their right to kill children. Because, you know, children might get in the way of a mother who has an unplanned pregnancy, and we don't want to devalue the enjoyment of her life, so just kill the child. Hillary Clinton has basically said that only child, the only way for a child to be safe is somehow make it out of the hospital. Then it's a child. God doesn't look at it like that. Children are precious. Children are priority. We've already looked in chapter 18 where Jesus warned, if you offend one of these little ones, it'd be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and cast into the deepest sea. And he said, don't despise one of these little ones because their angels report in to the face of God. Children are important. Children are precious. The Bible teaches us, and especially the example of David, the king, when he lost that little baby because of his sin with Bathsheba, he wept and he cried and he pleaded with God to spare the baby's life. But the baby died, and when when David heard that, when he figured out that because the servants were kind of scurrying around and being real quiet, they were afraid because of his great grief in praying for the life of his son, that at death he might go lower. And yet he got up, washed his face, and called for something to eat. And they said, well, what's the difference in attitude? And he said in faith, the baby's not returning to me, but one day I will go and see that son. You see, the children, the, the, the heaven's going to be made up of children and those that become like children and submit to the gospel. The disciples, even though they were following Christ and they left all to follow, follow Christ, still hadn't quite figured out his value system. And so they were kind of jealous, I think, because he was now spending time with them alone and people kept coming to be healed and then these people just coming to get their children blessed. That's not important. Jesus doesn't need to be bothered with these children. And if you look at the passage in Mark, the parallel passage in Mark 10, it seems that they kept coming. And so Jesus had to keep rebuking the disciples who kept trying to keep people from bringing their children. We saw in chapter 18 how there's this little boy and Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this one here. Remember we talked about what, what did he mean about that one there? All children? No, Jesus knew that children have a sin nature. But this little one just came when Jesus called him. Simple. Simple. Just submitting to the will of God. You see, as we get older, we begin, maybe by osmosis, maybe by a bad example of parents, to begin to take on the value system of the world. And so it begins harder. It gets so much harder. We say, well, it's really hard to follow Jesus. Not if you have the heart of a child. You just do what he says. Simple. In the Old Testament, God gave that pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day that was right there, Shekinah glory, over the tabernacle. And he said, when the, the cloud lifts up, you pack up and follow. That's simple. You know what? It's the same today. We have the faith of a child, and he tells you to go, you go. He tells you to speak, you speak. Tells you to stop, you stop. He expects us to be like children, but the disciples didn't get that yet. And so they rebuked these people, bringing the babies. 
because there's more important work to do. And Jesus stopped them. He said, don't hinder them from coming to me. Don't hinder them. The Bible said Jesus took them up in his arms. It didn't say what he prayed for them, or we'd probably turn that into a religion. But he blessed them. You see, the Talmud taught people that you ought to seek for godly men to bless your children. So it was a tradition in obedience to that teaching. They would bring a new baby, father would bring a new baby to the synagogue, and he would pray for his baby, and then he would hand that baby to the elders. And one by one, the, the elders would hold that baby and pray God's blessing that that child might grow to be God-fearing and love God and love his neighbor as himself. And so Jesus thought it was important, and he took time, and he blessed these children. We have that culture in this church. We love that culture in this church. That's why we need to build another building, because we're out of room, because you also think babies are important, and you keep having them, and we love that. I remember when we moved here, there wasn't a lot of babies in the nursery. I think our kids were the babies in the nursery we moved here. And uh, my little Sam was about three at the time. And he said, you know, we need, to, we need to build a nursery. I said, amen, Sam. Let's start with the nursery. But as God had, has blessed our church, when we get God's value system, we love babies too, don't we? Some of you have had your babies, and then you take other people's babies in because you love babies so much. You, you want these children to know the Lord. That's God's value system. And while the world screams out for their deaths in our culture, you know, other cultures don't understand America. In Costa Rica, the World uh, Health Council keeps offering Costa Rica millions of dollars if they'll just make abortion legal for anybody. And the mothers in Costa Rica say, why would we want to kill our babies? You see, what has happened, our nation and its leaders have turned their back on God. And we see our leaders, that's what the people want. That's why they put those people in office. So don't just blame the Congress. The people love it so. And children are not convenient, so if they get in your way, just rub them out. Wicked, wicked value system. And the Old Testament asks the question, can a, can a mother forget her child? And the answer is yes. But our God will never forget us. And Jesus took the time to take these babies in his arms and bless them. Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. She had a little one that passed away in infancy. And she wrote that precious hymn. And that is such a blessing to us as parents that have had children go to be with the Lord already. We didn't lose them. They just moved. And Jesus, they hold them. He holds them in his arms. They're safe. Jesus wanted us to understand what was important and he said, do not hinder them from coming to me. How do we hinder our children? Not just dads, but mostly dads can have a problem with anger. And you might believe all the right things. But if you can't control your anger, your kids are not going to buy what you're selling. I'm going to buy. And you know what? You're not doing a good job of really believing the grace of God. If you think anger is how you get, job, get the job done, how you lead. And if you are convicted by that, don't just stay there. 
Say, well, that's why I was born. My dad was angry. My grandpa's angry. That's just the way we are. It's in our genetics. No, you have the genetics of sin. But with Christ, you can walk in victory. You can be a stumbling block. You can also be a stumbling block in your idolatry. You can tell your kids what's important. But they're going to live out what they see. What they see. And if in a family you see one after the other just not following Christ, you got to say something's wrong in what's being modeled. Something's wrong. You know, idolatry comes in many forms. And it, you can tell your children, I taught my kids, this is what's important, right? But what did you do? You see, God has put in every child the desire to honor their parents, you know, and you have to teach them not to be rebellious. But it says, it's the glory, the glory of children is their father's. But you can have a crooked path with your feet. And you can say, well, son, this is important, but maybe work is more important. And they're going to become really hard workers, but worship is just something you do on Sunday. Don't get all fanatical, son. And you may never use those words, but they're going to do what you do. They are. Idolatry comes in the form of athletics, too, doesn't it? And America and American Christians have bought into it, and there's nothing wrong with athletics, but it can't sit on the throne. It has its place. It has its place. Because here's the question. You put those goals off for your children, whether educational goals or athletic goals or monetary goals, and they actually get those things. Jesus asked the question in Matthew 16, if somebody gains the whole world, and loses his soul, was that a good investment? So what you're modeling, what you're teaching with your life, what are you discipling your children to? Are you, are you a stepping stone that they might follow Jesus? Or are you a hindrance? Because there are more important things, and you're modeling that. R.C.H. Linsky said, As the flower in the garden stretches toward the light of the sun... So there is in the child a mysterious inclination toward eternal light. Have you ever noticed this mysterious thing? That when you tell the smallest child about God, it never asks with strangeness and wonder, what or who is God? I've never seen him. But instead they listen with shining faces to the words as though they were soft, loving sounds from the land of home. Or when you teach a child to fold its hands in prayer, it does this as though it were a matter of course. God has put that eternity in children. He has helped us as parents. He's put that in there. Scientists who are Christians have studied and say, you have to teach a child to be an atheist because they just naturally think there's a God. But we have this beautiful opportunity, this stewardship to be able to teach them. John MacArthur gives five words so that parents, just kind of a little reference, so we see what's important. I have one more. I've added to John MacArthur. Not sure if that's right or not, but you'll see. You can agree with me. Number one, he says we have to remember that these children are not ours. C.H. Spurgeon said, children don't belong to you. They don't belong to the state. They belong to God. When Israel was in a state of amazing wickedness and idolatry, they brought the worship of the god Moloch into the temple where you'd go worship God by sleeping with a prostitute. Then if that prostitute got pregnant, they would take that baby. And Moloch was the fire god. And so he was just this big 
metal furnace and they would they had a movable jaw so they would put that innocent baby on that jaw and it would tip up and the baby would tumble into the fire and God said those are my children they belong to me you have to remember that children belong to God they're not yours to abuse or cause to stumble they belong to God and there will be accountability we have a stewardship and it's over so quickly parents don't believe me because when you're changing diapers on two at a time you know one hasn't quite he's he's a little slow and getting diet potty trained and and you got the one coming behind them and they're both and you think I'm never going to be through this and Christy and I now that we've reached middle-aged wonder where the uh, energy came from to keep up but it's going to be over before you know it they're going to be gone and then you're watching your grandkids grow up so important remember who they belong to and what a precious stewardship we have to guide them they've just given us a little time the lord has to be influenced in their lives and to be that example for them the second word after remembering who they belong to is to teach them Christian parents have a high calling of bringing up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You see Ephesians 6, 4. Timothy was poured into by his godly mother Eunice and his grandfather, grandmother Lois. And they poured the word into him so that when Paul came with the gospel, they all got saved. And all that scripture that they poured into Timothy, Timothy was able to be taken by Paul and used right away. As a minister of God's grace. Teach them. Not just teach them. But put it up all over your house. In the Old Testament. Israel was instruct, instructed as kind of a, a model. As, as kind of a illustration. The word should be so important. That you should have it on your forehead. Wrap it around your arm. So if you go to Israel today. Ascetic Jew you'll find they have these little boxes of scripture. Wrapped around their arm. They have really tall hats. So they can wear it on their head. And they cover it with their hat. Well, that's nice. But if you're not practicing it, if you're not submitting to it, who cares if you just, you know, wear it? I think an illustration might be in your home that as you wives decorate, or you guys, maybe you're a decorator as a guy. I don't want to leave anybody out. But in our home, we have Bible verses. We have scriptural sayings around, so they're always there. Christy has from her grandma. Her grandma loved the Lord. She was married to an unsaved guy. He's a rough old guy, but she has one little thing from her grandma. And it says, Jesus never fails. To put those things around your home. So your children always face not only what you say, but what you decorate your home. That's biblical. To just, the, the influence of God is everywhere and teach them the word of God. Third is model. Model. I've already said it's not enough to tell them. It's wicked to say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Because they're not going to listen to that and you will cause rebellion. And you as children, maybe you grew up with parents like that, but now you're old. You make a different decision. Don't say, well, my parents are bitter. I got to be bitter. My, my dad was angry. I got to be angry. Stop. Follow Jesus. Use him as the model. But the greatest thing that you can model is demonstrating your humility to the word of God. And your humility is a servant to those children because there are no perfect parents. 
And you may resist if you've done something wrong, maybe accusing one of doing something that somebody else did, maybe something you did but thought they did, right? It happens. To be that model that gets down in front of your little boys or little girls and looks into their eyes, takes their hands in your hands and say, will you forgive dad? I was wrong. I sinned. Will you forgive me? You say, well, you know, then they'll know. No. You will go up in their estimation because that's what God desires. And you will make it so much easier for them as they grow up to just say, you know, that was sin. The Bible says what ought to mark our lives as believers is confession of sin. 1 John 1 says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Jesus died for sinners. And there's only two kinds of people, saved sinners and lost sinners, but you're still a sinner. Now, John's hope through the Holy Spirit for us is that we, as we confess our sin, we'll be sinning less. But he said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And they begin to learn that that's how you deal with sin. That's how you deal with your relationships. When you sin, you own it. You submit, and you just don't say, I'm sorry, kid. You get down in front of them and you say, son or daughter, dad sinned, mom sinned. Will you forgive me? That's modeling. Submission to the word of God and submission as a servant to them. The fourth key word is love. It seems obvious. seems obvious that we love our children. But it's not so obvious today, is it? It's imperative that parents will have an influence when they lovingly weep with their children, rejoice with them, hurt with them, unselfishly serve them, show them genuine affection. You know, my dad, I just found this out this week, and he was a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And his parents were godly people. My sister told me this week that my dad shared with mom sometime in their relationship that his parents never told him they loved him. They modeled it. He had no question of it, but they never told him. And so hugging my dad was kind of like hugging a stick because he just didn't understand that kind of affection. And that's not the same way it is in our house. My grandma and grandpa were godly people, but I never saw them show affection. Just do what's right, you know. Being raised with the word, behave. That's important, but do your children know you love them? Your home ought to be that safe place that your kids are embarrassed all the time because you're hugging on your wife. And they're saying, oh, gross. And you're hugging on them. Listen, I hug my grown sons and I kiss them right on the cheek. They're precious. And you ought to display that love And you ought to not just talk about it. It's something they know. My mom and dad love me. My home is a place of safety. And you that are getting to that point, you're going to start making those decisions. Don't just look at a bad model and say, well, I don't know any different. You go and you follow Jesus because Jesus loves children and he will teach you how to love your children. Fifth word is trust. After you've done everything, you have to trust the Lord. Because you cannot teach them into the kingdom. You can model Christ. You can teach them the word. But ultimately, it's God's work to save them. 
Now, you can make straight paths for your feet that it's easy for them to trust the Lord, but it takes a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit, so you ought to be in prayer. Henry Blackaby said, how do you know that the blessing you're experiencing today is not the answered prayer of your grandparents? And when I read that, I had to stop and say, thank you, God, for praying grandparents on both sides. They may not have been perfect, but I know they prayed for me. They told me. My grandpa Bergen, I've told you before, he went to be the Lord when I was only six. But he was a godly man. And my grandpa Martin said, Paul, we pray for you in your ministry before he passed away. We pray for you every day. All the boys that are in the ministry, all of our grandchildren, we pray for them. My dad taught me some wisdom. He said, you know, you won't really know how much your children internalize until you see what they teach your grandchildren. I tell you, we pray for our children we pray for our grandchildren. Don't take, don't take for granted that you have a nice house and that's enough. Satan is wicked. He's going about as a roaring lion seeking to destroy. And there are drugs out there your kids can take and they can be hooked after taking it one time. Pray God's protection on them. Pray God's work in their life. You ought to be praying for them. I remember praying in front of my, all of my children. My sons and my daughter, many, many times. Now, I pray the same thing for my grandchildren, for my granddaughters and my grandsons, that they would grow up to be strong men and women of God, more than anything, strong men and women of God. And then you have to trust the Lord, because it's, it's His grace. You know, the hardest part of parenting is when you don't get to parent anymore. There's a time when you just have to be quiet unless you're asked. It's true. Once they're out of your home, they turn 18, you know, it's kind of like, well... Pray for them. Now listen, between 15 and 18 for boys, I don't know about girls, you'll get real stupid. You'll get real ignorant, and they won't believe anything you say because, you know, they're full of themselves now. And, and they, I already know that, Dad. I know. I know. But at some point, if you have given them that example, about the time they get married or they're getting ready to get married or when they have a baby, all of a sudden they're going to come to that place of helplessness that you felt since you had a baby, and they're going to say, hey, Dad, hey, Mom. Uh, what about this, right? You'll get an opportunity. Up until that point, you don't really get to say much. You just have to trust the Lord, and you pray for them. You pray for them. I have one more, and that is community. It is so important that you just don't come to church on Sunday, but that the church is your community. This is your fellowship. Your close friends that your children see are the men, if you're a man of this church, if you're a woman, it's the women of this church. doesn't mean you shouldn't have friends outside that you're ministering to, but they know that your main friends, your main fellowship is right here. And if that church has a Sunday school, they need to be in Sunday school. When the doors are open, you're there. If there's a youth group, they're in youth group. Now, there's this thing today where, well, we just do our own thing. We'll just have a Bible so we don't be in youth group. Okay, you can do that. But when they grow up, they go to some false teaching church, then you can look at your own life and say, well, I guess we didn't think church was all that important. I guess we model do whatever you want. See, everything the church does may be not your priority, but if the elders are leading that way, see the safety. The, reason, the most important reason you want this community is because there comes a time when those kids get to that time when they're not really listening to you. You sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. You really do. And you're giving them really good wisdom. It's scriptural. It's biblical. You may be quoting scripture. And all they hear is, wah, 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 wah. That's what they hear. 
but they may be listening to another God, a godly man or godly woman in our church. And they'll come home and they say, well, you know, Dad, Terry Diltz told me this. And you'll have to say, now you don't say anything because you want to say, well, I was saying the same thing your whole life, but now you heard it from Terry? What is it? Well, it's the law of the plow pan. If you live in an area where they actually plant crops and raise them, you know that as a farmer plows, and he plows and he discs, and he does all that work in the soil, underneath that soil that's worked develops a hard plow pan. And it's very hard for, for plants to get past that and get down the nutrition out of the earth. And so every once in a while, they have to bring a chisel in. And they get down deep and they stir up that soil underneath. That's what the other voice is. The other voice. Because they may just get used to hearing me. They hear me every week or the pastors every week. But another godly man, another godly woman saying the same thing. Because you're in community and your kids know, I can trust the people at church because they see that in your life. Life on life, accountability to other believers. Hillary Clinton said it takes a village to raise a child. I don't want this village raising my children. Mm -mm. But this church is our family. And our children growing up were looking at your lives and they were listening to you. And we love that. Because of the godly women and men in this church that surrounded our lives... Our family is what it is today. Oh, they had a wonderful mother, and it was God's grace, but it was also this community of believers through the years. And they will pick friends like you pick, so be wise. Hurrying on, secondly, verses 16 through 26, there's treasure in heaven. He sets out on this journey, and this guy, if you read the... uh, the, the parallel passage in Mark 10, this guy runs up and says, good teacher. And Jesus replies to him, there's none good but God. What do you want? You know, what, are you, what are you saying I'm good for? Do you recognize me as God? Obviously he didn't because he didn't take God's word to heart. He just came like a lot of people come to church. Just affirm me in what I'm doing. Just tell me I'm okay. What do I have to do to get into heaven to have eternal life? He said, keep the law. Jesus knew this guy's heart just by looking at him. He didn't have to have supernatural powers for that. He recognized him as a rich, young ruler. And what was important to him? He knew him. And he said, keep the law? Well, I've done that. Which law? Which law do you want to keep? So Jesus names off those laws. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. And love your neighbors yourself. Oh, I've done all that. See, he's lying right there. And Jesus is going to point out the lie. Because Jesus, knowing he's a rich man, says, okay, then sell everything you have and give the poor and follow me. You don't get salvation by buying it. Following Jesus was salvation. But he knew it was keeping because his God was money. He just wanted to be affirmed affirmed in everything he was doing. He didn't want somebody telling him to do something different. And because he had riches, and Jesus said, if you'll just do that, you'll have riches in heaven. And he thought, no, 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 I want riches here. He didn't see Jesus as the treasure. And he went away sorrowful. Now some commentators say that maybe later he comes to Christ because there's the word Jesus loved him. And Jesus' love is always proficient in whom he sex his affection upon. But at this time he goes away sorrowful because he valued what he had in his hand more than what Jesus could offer. 
He really didn't love his neighbors himself because if he did, he would have give, gladly said, oh yes, let me help my neighbors around me and, and give to those that are lacking. And he went away sorrowful. So Jesus gives the illustration. He says in some of the passages, those that would be rich, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man, those that would desire to be rich to be saved. That's why the disciples say, well, we want to be rich too. Who can get saved? Because every man, every woman has the desire to have sustenance, to have that safeguard, to have that money in the bank. Then they can be secure rather than looking to God for money. Who could be saved? And Jesus said, nobody can be, can be saved apart from the Lord. With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are impossible. Listen, as you look around at people that are taken in by the treasure of the world and their idols... Don't think, well, I don't think they can be saved. As far as depends on you, they can't. But see, what God has put in your hands is the gospel. It is so powerful. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. You just share the gospel. God is not intimidated of rich man's wealth or of an atheist attitude and philosophy. He knows how to break the rock in pieces. Just share the love of Christ with them. Well, Jesus, Peter gets an idea. Whoa, hey, hold it. That's us. We have forsaken everything to follow you. What do we get? Again, the disciples, not having the Holy Spirit dwelling in their life yet, didn't really understand who they had in Jesus. And Jesus tells them, basically, you cannot give the Lord. He says here, verse 28, Truly I say to you, you have followed me in the regeneration. When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will also sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, James and John take that information. The next chapter are going to say, uh, we just don't want that. We want to sit on your right hand or your left. We want real places of power. And Jesus has to tell them, hey, listen, it's not about authority. It's about service. Are you willing to serve? And he goes on to say, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. What is he saying? Later, Peter writes, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. See, they're still thinking silver and gold. Jesus said, you can't outgive me. What I'm going to give you is so much better. It's, it's worth houses and lands and all that the world has to offer. Because what was he giving? He was giving himself. Peter goes on, filled by the Holy Spirit, 1 Peter 1.8, and he says, though you have never seen him, you love him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. The treasure is Jesus. For believers, the powerful treasure, the rich, great, amazing treasure is not what we get here on earth. God will give us what we need for our ministry. The treasure waiting for us in heaven is Jesus. And the Bible says we already have that treasure. We already have that treasure. How has that treasure been affecting your value system? Are you allowing it to? John writes, he says, don't let the world press you into its mold. 
or Paul writes that in Romans. Don't let the world press you into its mold. Don't buy their value system. John writes and he says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's going to pass away. And the lust is going to pass away. But he that does the will of God abides forever. How is that? By making Jesus your treasure. He's the valuable one. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, as we gather on the table now, Lord, I pray, bring to our remembrance that all that we are, all that we have is because of Jesus. And this life with this worldly treasure is passing away. Lord, that we might value what you value, children and their precious life, because you are our treasure. And we value what you value. In Jesus' name, amen.